Welcome to a special episode of the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Hagenbotham, and your co-host, Kevin Tofel. And we are calling this a special episode because it is brought to you by you. We got so sad about all of the voicemails piled up, we decided that this holiday week we would answer a bunch of questions from our listeners. So that is our plan today. This show, though, is brought to you by Control 4. Their smart home system connects all of your smart devices to make your home control as easy as Alexa, turn on movie time to lower your shades, dim the lights, and start Netflix on your TV. Or when the doorbell rings, you can go into one app to see who it is and turn on the porch lights. With Control 4, you can automate the devices you already have and keep adding new ones. Now that's smart. Head to control4.com. That's control, the number four, dot com for more information. And because this show features all of you guys, it's also brought to you by Schlage and the IoT podcast, Hotline. If you want to get a chance to appear on this show or have us answer your question on the air, give us a call at 512-623-7424. Don't miss your chance to win a Schlage Sense smart deadbolt and Wi-Fi adapter. You can enter to win by calling us and leaving a question and know that smarter homes start with Schlage. We'll be doing that contest for the rest of July. So anytime you call between now and the end of July, you will be entered to win that particular lock. It's a great lock. So call us, ask us your questions. 512-623-7424. And through the month of June, which just finished up, we were giving away a Schlage SmartSense lock. So we're going to announce that later on this show, which I believe one of the callers questions that we answer on today's show is our winner. It is, it is. So you can find out who won that lock. All right, Kevin, let's get it started. Our first call is from Frank, and he has a really good question for all of us. Hi, Stacey and Kevin. This is Frank calling from Orlando. And I had a question about homeowners insurance and the guest you had on a few weeks ago, Dave Halimi from Flow Technologies. And I was just wondering if there are any major homeowners insurances that offer discounts or some kind of incentives on houses with smart home and like other than just alarm. So I was just wondering if you guys had any information about that. And if you could, just let me know. And thanks. I really enjoyed the podcast. Frank, this is a great question. And I'm sad to say that a lot of them still focus mostly on home security, not on sensors. But we've got a couple. And all of the sensors in this case are basically your Nest smoke detector. So American Family Insurance offers discounts for people who have a Nest smoke detector and who opt into sharing if their batteries are in there or not. This is a big question for insurers. Liberty Mutual does the same thing. And I know this is security related, but American Family also offers a discount for people who install the Ring doorbell. And then Ring actually offers some discounts to people as well. And finally, State Farm has a deal with Canary where they will offer you, I think it's $20 off the purchase of a Canary, but then also $20 annually off the Canary subscription. Right. And that's a $10 a month subscription. I know because I have a canary and I pay that. So that's like getting two months of the service for free. Woo. 
So we're not get to the place where insurance firms are saying, hey, we're going to subsidize your water sensors and that sort of thing. But I will say, I think we're going to get there and I think we're probably going to get there next year. So 2019, I think we'll start seeing policies. We'll start seeing more discounts, but we may even start seeing some of these policies built around connected devices. The insurance firms are really into this, but as we've said before, they need that data. Grr. All right. So stay tuned in your life for insurance discounts on smart home gear. Next question is from Jeremy. Hey, Kevin and Stacy. My name is Jeremy, and I've been thinking about getting a smart lock. But sometimes, you know, when somebody shuts the door, they don't close it all the way. And so I'm wondering if you guys have had that experience where maybe it's not shut all the way and then you're somewhere else, like maybe, you know, not at home or using the app to lock it. Like, do you know that the door doesn't lock because the deadbolt can't go into the hole because the door's not shut all the way? Man, Jeremy, I have tried like half a dozen smart locks and I literally have never thought about this. That is until August actually introduced something called DoorSense, which is basically a magnetic sensor that you stick near the deadbolt or inside your door frame and it will actually detect if the deadbolt has been engaged, but the door is actually still open. This has literally never happened to me, but it's a really good question. And right now, that's really the main option out there. So you could buy the August door lock with DoorSense, and it has that integrated as part of the package, or Kevin came up with something. Well, it's clever that August has done this because they have integrated the sensor with the lock. However, the sensor itself appears to be just a magnetic sensor, and you can certainly buy any one of a number of magnetic sensors that use typically Zigbee or Z-Wave, which would replicate exactly what DoorSense does. So if you don't want an August door lock, you can certainly try a different smart lock and add your own magnetic sensor. It may not look as pretty because most of those are not in recessed options, so you'll have a little sensor on the door and the door frame, but still that would work and give you more options to choose from if you'd like that. Aontech actually makes a lovely recessed sensor, but you do then have to drill the hole in your door frame or door and put it in there. But it is recessed and very pretty. The final option I'll give you is a pretty low, I don't know, it's pretty easy, pretty cheap. So you can get a wise camera and stick it so it faces your door. And then you can always check in with this $20 camera and be like, oh, hey, my deadbolt engaged, but my door is actually still open if this is like a big concern of yours. The downside to all of these actually is if the door is still open, you do have to go back home and close it. Or maybe you could just call someone and have that happen. Right. I would probably set up some type of automation that triggers if the door magnetic sensor is showing open for more than a couple minutes or something to that effect when you're not at home. That way you're not too far from home and you can just go back. There you go. So if you do the external door sensor, you're going to need a hub because they are Zigbee and Z-Wave. So you're really getting into investment territory there. But then you could have a lot of fun with your automated home. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next up is a question from Rob, who is from Austin. Shout out to Rob, my hometown buddy. All right, Rob, let's hear your question. Hi, Stacy. My name is Rob. I'm a retired electronics engineer here in Austin. I got into electronics in the early 60s as a kid. And now after several years of retirement, I want to get back into it as a hobby. You know, make it fun again. Home automation gadgets seem like a fun avenue, but I don't want my gadgets to be too dependent on proprietary protocols or on access beyond my own local network. What tips do you have 
that you can give me to find DIY-friendly devices, plans, parts, and protocols, things that I can have full control over and have a lot of fun. Thanks for a great podcast. Okay, Rob, this is, I think, actually a really common desire among a lot of our audience. You guys do not want stuff sent to the cloud for the most part, it sounds like, and you don't want to have the compromises that come with the incredible lack of standards that we have in the industry today. I get that. But we don't have a lot of options for you. So if you want to control it all on your own, you could do something like load OpenHab or Home Assistant or HomeBridge on like a Pi and control everything locally from your Pi. That's a pretty complicated thing, but you do say that you're a double E, so you might be totally comfortable with that level of effort and granularity. I will say that I put OpenHab on, I used a Pine64. It was difficult to get it on there, but man, the level of control I had was awesome and kind of intimidating. So, But there's a downside. There is a downside. If you do any of these things, you have a problem, which is if, for example, your door isn't locked and you're like, oh, my door isn't locked. I will remotely control it from my smartphone while I am at dinner. You can't actually do that. And that lack of remote control that may be a problem for you. It kind of depends on the things you want to do with your smart home. I would like to have the remote access myself. I'm the same way. I like my remote access, but I don't know that I want everything going to the cloud. And you can do that. You can have a local hub and still have remote access, but it sounds like you don't even want that. So you can pick and choose what you'd like to do. There is another new option out there, which is no cloud data. And that is the Hubitat Hub, which we have a review unit hopefully coming soon. So we'll be able to tell you a lot more, but I know it at least on paper, it would meet your specifications because it is totally in your network and does not go to the outside for its smart home smarts. So Hubitat, where did that come from? The founders actually built the rules engine for the SmartThings hub. So these guys, they looked at SmartThings. They were like, I like where this is going. It's pretty granular. You can go as deep as you want to, but they did not like a lot of the aspects of the cloud connectivity. So they were like, hey, I want to control all of this on my own. And that's what they did and built. Yeah. Well, once we have that in-house, we can tell you more how it works. One other thing I'd like to mention, if Rob really wants to tinker and not have a ton of different apps, because obviously certain devices that not necessarily use their own protocols, but just kind of use their own app for control and things like that, you could actually get into some very light coding and use APIs that are available from a lot of the different device makers. I control a LifeX bulb using a Raspberry Pi and some Python. It's literally just a couple lines of code to actually actually enable a light or so on and so forth. So if you don't want a ton of apps as well, and you want your own controls, you could do that too. Now, I will warn you, and I will warn anyone who says, I don't want to depend on proprietary protocols. I will say that it's not just the proprietary protocols that can mess you up. Okay, let's go with another question. We have got one from Eric with kind of a doozy. So let's hear it. Hey, Stacey and Kevin. I'm trying to wire up some wise cameras and had this problem before. Does anyone make a small USB extension wire for power only, but with a plug in the middle of it that's very small, such that I can drill maybe a quarter-inch hole and pass that through and then reconnect it on the other side of the wall to minimize the hole size? Of course, the most USB-A connectors are pretty big, and then the camera connectors are still fairly big. So I want a midpoint disconnect such that we can push it through a hole, a small hole. Anyway, thanks for your help. I love your podcast. 
So, Eric, I looked all over the web, like the entire web, for a USB cable that has a disconnect in the middle. And I struck out. And I don't know if that's because there's no demand for them or the USB spec does not allow for those. So the short answer is there is no cable that's going to work for what you want to do. And I get why you want to do what you want to do. You want to limit the hole that you're drilling to pass through power for a wise cam in another room. So I came up with some alternatives and I'll let you decide if any of these are workable. One is that you could, if you have an outlet within five meters of the wise camera that you're going to put up, what you could do is swap that outlet out with another outlet that still has three prongs, but also has additional USB ports. And these are inexpensive, maybe $15. I have a couple in my office. They're easy to wire. And what that'll do is it'll let you use a regular USB cable from that outlet. Unfortunately, you're going to see the wire because that's going to be in the same room, but that is an option. And I said five meters because that is the spec USB for length. It shouldn't be more than five meters unless you get repeaters and all, but you wouldn't need that. I'm trying to think of some other options. There just aren't too many. I know, Stacy, you would thought of some if you want to have an electrician come in the house. Yeah. You know, I had an electrician come out and drop a new outlet because of my life. I need more outlets in weird places than normal people, like under my sink, for example. So you just have the electrician come out. If there is a light switch or an existing outlet, they can run something up the wall, down the wall, anywhere on the wall. It costs about, in Austin, it costs about $25 to get it added on to your visit. So there's usually a small visit fee and then that. So, and while they're out there, they could swap out all your light switches. Who knows? So that's really the only option I had for you, which is not probably ideal. Okay, sorry, bad news there. But we have some good news for our next caller, who is from Canada. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Stacey. Ian Mildy calling from Canada. And I just have a smart things question for you. My girlfriend has a SmartThings hub, and she is looking for a CO2 or a smoke alarm that'll attach or go into the system. Unfortunately, we're in Canada, so there's not a lot of choice, but you guys have an affordable solution. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks. Hope you have a great day. First off, your girlfriend with the SmartThings hub, she's a keeper because it's hard to find people who you love and who one day you might live with who like having the disruption of a smart house. So we went and looked for this particular product. I used to try smoke alarms out and the challenge was my dog would freak out. So I stopped trying them out. But I did go and find a first alert one because I know that they actually work with lots of different options. Kitty K-I-D-D-E, I'm not sure how you say it. They have a proprietary radio, so not all of theirs work with other devices that don't have that radio in them. But I looked for a first alert Z-Wave smoke detector because the Wi-Fi ones, A, they need to be wired, they require a lot of power, and B, they all seem to have secret surveillance cameras in them, which kind of creeped me out. Ew. So I went searching for a Z-Wave smoke detector on Amazon's Canadian site, and by golly, I found one. I found a lovely one that actually does work with smart things. It does not work with Wink, by the way, and it costs roughly $88 Canadian. So it felt a little expensive, but you know, you can do the cool things like when your smoke alarm goes off, you can set a program in smart things. So it will like turn your lights on and off if you want. It can text you. It can do lots of fun things. Yeah, it's a bummer that doesn't work with Wink. I know it'll work for this particular caller. It would not work for me. My family is a Wink family. Maybe that should be on your Tinder profile. Do you like smart things or Wink? Do you have a Tinder profile, Kevin? <laughs> no comment. No, of course not. 
Of course not. I was like, I'm going to have to tell your wife. No, no, no. She's a wink girl. There you go. She might not care. So yes, and Kevin, I think actually before the show, he pointed out that this is not as expensive as it feels compared to like a nest. No, because, you know, I've looked at the Nest smoke alarms and, you know, you can spend 120 to $150 or more for each one. And that adds up quickly. And 88 Canadian dollars is roughly around 65 US dollars. So it's a lot cheaper than the Nest options that we have here. So I don't think it's too terrible. But again, I don't know this particular individual's budget. So there it's for his girlfriend. He's going to spend the money. Yeah, spend the money. Yeah. She's great. She's got She's worth things. it. She's worth it. And this next question is from this week's winner. I wish we had little bells. Ding, 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 ding. I should really invest in some sound effects. So this is Robert, and he has a question that actually is surprisingly easy to answer. Very short answer. With a very long explanation. Exactly. So let's hear it. I know you guys get this question a hundred times, but I'm just getting into the home automation thing. And I was looking at the home assistant to be my first project to start in a new home I'm purchasing. I'll get to get in the next couple of days. I just want to know if Home Assistant would be okay for a first-timer into the smart world. Okay, Robert, here is the short answer. No. No. (laughs) And why is that? We don't have any sense, Robert, of how adept you are technically. And like I was saying, when I installed OpenHab, Home Assistant looks actually a little bit easier to install than OpenHab, but it still requires you to be familiar with having a Raspberry Pi and loading software onto it. And the interface looks amazing. But man, I'm going to tell you, getting the software on these things is like a journey in and of itself. Right. And Yeah, this is one of those that you would install on a Raspberry Pi, so that's why we're leaning towards no. But Robert, if you can name four Linux distros off the top of your head, that would tell me you're savvy enough to make this happen. So if you are, then yes, would be our answer. If you are not, then no. This would be similar to, as you said, Stacey, the OpenHab, Mozilla things, etc. You're probably better off as a first-time smart home buyer to get a smart home hub, such as SmartThings or Wink, or we'll say more about Hubitat once we have that in-house can tell you if we would recommend that. So that would be our recommendation. And I think of this as like a gradient, right? So on the one end, you have OpenHab, you have Home Assistant, HomeBridge, super powerful, requires a lot of expertise, and it also requires a lot of time. Like when I was playing with OpenHab, man, I could spend an hour setting up one light bulb because that's how much granular. I mean, it was wonderful for anybody who ever like played D&D and spent hours designing their character. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what I felt like. I was like, oh, yes. Now, the next level above that, I would say is smart things, which gives you a lot of programmability. It's a little less reliable. They've done a lot with their reliability, but still there's sometimes some issues. It's a little less user-friendly, I think, less idiot-proof. And then Wink is just, to me, it's the gold standard of hubs for easy use. And then HomeKit is also super easy, probably easier than Wink, but you are, you're then in an all-Apple ecosystem, which doesn't work right, for some people. Right, I would agree. You also have some limitations, and that would be in the device choice, because you can't use ZigBee or Z-Wave with HomeKit. You're stuck with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth-type devices. So that is our gradient of home hub things that we have played with. All right. And congratulations to you, Robert. Woo, you win the Schlage lock. So that's actually a good start for you on your smart home journey. And now 
a question from Dwayne. Hey, Kevin and Stacey. This is Dwight in Atlanta. Stacey, I just saw your Twitter post referring to Kevin's article on the routers and smart home hub functionality. I have a question because I'm actually looking at getting the Samsung Connect Home 3-pack. It's actually for $99, which is unbelievably just low. But I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on it? Is it a good unit? I'm considering also getting the Google Wi-Fi system, but I just wanted to know your thought on the Samsung Connect Home 3-pack since the price is so unbelievably low. Thank you, and thanks for the show. Dwayne, we are really sorry that we did not get to you in time for this deal because it was a smoking hot deal. But... As Kevin will explain, we're a little confused as to what you're asking. We think you're asking two different things. Right. You had mentioned the Samsung Connect 3-pack, which is a mesh network. And you also mentioned Google Wi-Fi as a contender, which is also a mesh network. So that's fine. Those are on par right there. There's some subtle differences that I'll mention in a second. But there's one key difference. The Samsung Connect is also a smart things hub for your smart home. Google Wi-Fi is not a smart home hub. So it is strictly a network set up for your home. So if you're looking for just a network in your home, either would do. The Samsung Connect uses slightly faster wireless radios. They're up to 1300 megabits per second. Theoretical real world is not going to be quite that fast. Google Wi-Fi is 1200 megahertz per second. You probably wouldn't notice the difference. You may not have a gigabit connection. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. It all depends. But even for internal transfers from computer to computer, that's where you would gain some benefit and see the fast speeds. Regardless, though, if you don't have a hub and you're looking for a hub, the only choice of the two you mentioned would be the Samsung Connect because smart things is built in. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully you see that awesome deal again if you've decided you want the hub plus the mesh. Or you pulled the trigger on that $99 deal and saved 200 bucks. And if so... Good deal. Good on you, Dwayne. All right. Our final question of the week is about our favorite smart speaker, Madam A. So let's hear it. Hi, Kevin and Stacey. I just want to say I really enjoy your podcast. I'm an educator, and I've been doing a lot of workshops and presentations on using Alexa in the context of the classroom, and just wanted to say I really enjoy it. I really don't have any questions, but certainly would enjoy if you had or know of any skills that pertain to educators, and if you've heard of anyone that is using the Madam A in the classroom. Thanks so much, and thanks again for a great podcast. Oh, I am so glad you asked this question because we had so much fun. (laughs) Yes, we did. Yes, we did. There are 4,000 Madam A skills in the education and reference section. And I wouldn't say we went through all of them, but we went through a bunch. And we installed and used them to come up with five recommendations here. Granted, you could go through yourself and find additional ones, but we really enjoyed using these. Yes. And in some cases, we were smarter. And in some cases, we were... We weren't. (laughs) Dumber than we thought. So first up is the National Geographic quiz skill. Reputable name and a very functional quiz. So what this does is every single day you get six new geography-based questions. And Americans are terrible at geography. So (laughs) this was good. Kevin and I, however, were pretty awesome, I thought. I believe we scored six out of six on our quiz. 
And, you know, there's a range. Some of them are very easy and some of them were a little more challenging. I wouldn't say any of them are going to, you know, if you're like a Jeopardy champion, quiz bowl champion, these are probably not going to stump you, but definitely good for the classroom. And then we have the NASA Mars. NASA Mars. Yes. NASA Mars, I thought it would be good, and it was. However, it was very information dense. It Sometimes we'd ask what we thought was a simple question, and we would hear a five-minute answer. So there's a lot of detail in here. This is made by JPL, who would certainly know what's going on on Mars. That's the Jet and- Propulsion Laboratory for anyone who is not a space nerd. (laughs) That's correct. And you can get information about Mars, but what we thought was really cool, you can get, I wouldn't say real time, but same day information on the Curiosity rover. And when we happened to ask about it, Curiosity actually did not go as far as planned on Mars that day. And we found out exactly what the problem is and exactly what NASA is doing to resolve it. I mean, it was serious information. Really, really cool. It was. It was awesome. And they had, you know, we asked, I didn't realize this, but Mars has two moons. Yes, it does. And we found out the moon's names. And we also found out why they were named that. A complete mythological history. Very, very, very in-depth. So if that, you- that was just asking about how many moons it had. We got all that information. Yes, yes. We did not have to pump Madam A for this information. We were just like, no. Ah. It's actually probably a lot like talking to me at a party where you're like, oh, why does this work? And then I'm like, oh, let me explain it to you. <laughs> and they're like, oh, my God, I need someone else. A half an hour and two drinks later, you'll get your answer. Exactly. So we like that. It's probably for older, more patient people. We also tried for younger kids, smart math which there are a lot of smart math. I was looking for a math facts skill, basically, for my daughter, because not too long ago, we were in that realm of like, hey, what's two plus two, two times two, two divided by two, all of those fun things. And I was like, how cool would it be if you could just ask Madam A for your math facts? And it's pretty cool, but it's also... It starts easy. It starts real easy. And this skill basically gives you 40 seconds and... Madame A will ask you math facts for that amount of time. I really wanted to go like all out super fast, but Madame A is not super fast. But I did get 40 seconds, which was eight questions, and they were like one plus four. Kevin heard me answer this. At first, I was like, I'm nervous about doing math in front of Kevin. But it was not hard. But you can level up. But I think it's a time-consuming process to level up. So there you go. So maybe for younger kids. And then Kevin and I met our match. You want to talk we about, did. You want to talk about our secret shame, Kevin? Yeah, I'm very disappointed in my performance on the periodic table quiz because I just went through the periodic table in the Big History Projects, which I highly recommend for people if you go to bighistoryproject.com. I screwed up my alkaline metals and my transition metals in this one. This was really, really challenging, but educational. Tons of good, good tough questions, but I learned so much. I forget how many questions it asked us. It asked us five questions. We, by the way, only got three of them, right? Yeah. Two or three. Yeah. We were not great, but we'll be better next time. I'm actually, I kept that on there because I'm like, you will not best me periodic table quiz. But it did. But it did that time. But not again. And, and, and it's also better more for the science kids that are in an older or higher grade level. So it's not elementary school, obviously, which we had some picks in there. This was more towards the middle school and, heck, maybe even high school. Yes. Or adults, as the case yes, may be. as we so learned. Yes. All right. And our final one is educational for anybody. I just liked this. And hopefully you guys will, too. It is the Audubon Birdsongs 
skill. And you basically, you ask Madame A to ask Audubon what a mockingbird sounds like, and it will play a mockingbird. And I just thought this was neat. It's not like Shazam for birds, which would be even cooler, but it's still for anybody who likes animals or wants to hear what's around them. You know, it's a fun skill. Yeah, you can ask it about any different bird. I forget how many it actually has, how many birds it actually covers, but there are 2,000 bird calls in the skill. And the neat thing is with the mockingbird and obviously with several other birds, if the bird has multiple sounds or calls, it will play all of them. I think for the mockingbird, it played four different ones all in a row. So you could hear the different calls of a mockingbird, for example. Yes, because that's what mockingbirds do. They sound like other things. Yes. But super cool. Those are some skills. I recommend going digging through that. We found a couple, like we found a spelling test skill that we thought was great because it let you import your own spelling words. But then if you spelled something incorrectly, it was like, yeah, didn't say anything. So we nixed that one. So That was disappointing because it had such promise because Stacey created her own list online with the skill and then Madame A regurgitated the list perfectly. But when you misspelled something, you just didn't know. It didn't say a thing. <laughs> Yeah. Kids with low confidence, well, it might be good for them. But yes. So I would recommend all of these skills, look for what you want. And then I would say test them out because some of them are of dubious quality. The ones we gave you, I feel pretty confident in because we've tried them out, but there's a lot. So... Right. It's it's so easy to enable the skills right from Amazon's website, too. So it's not like you have to go into your app to test these. It's also easy to enable from your app, should you have that handy. Kevin was like, I'm yes. not getting my phone, or I'm not opening my app. I don't need to do that. So, all right. Well, this was super fun, you guys. Thanks for sending yeah. us such great questions. We had a good time answering them. I hope you enjoyed the show. And we will do this again, I'm sure, because we have another another contest for you. So remember, call in 512-623-7424 for your chance to win a Schlage Sense Smart Deadbolt and Wi-Fi adapter. Kevin, that's it for this week's show. If you guys want more content, please check us out at stacyoniot.com. You can sign up for the weekly newsletter or you can see great content from Kevin and I. And as always, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. 